Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. We have been looking at Paul's second epistle to the church of Corinth for the past couple weeks. And uh, we'll be continuing uh, for the next couple months um, as well. But as we have considered this epistle um, to Corinth from Paul, we've considered his um, teaching on the embracing of afflictions. I'd like to say we've been embracing the embracing of afflictions, but that would probably take that a little bit too far. We're reading and studying and learning about his teaching on the embracing of afflictions. Hopefully, you're starting to embrace the concept of embracing afflictions. It kind of goes cattywampus to the way the world teaches us. The world wants us to look at afflictions as hindrances to our happiness. That um, the reality is that, um, in fact, sadly, in many churches, they, God wants you to be happy, and He wants you to be rich. And he wants you to have great health. And so that begins with the health and wealth. And you wonder, where does the health and wealth movement come from? It's because that's what we want to hear. That's exactly right. Um, especially as Americans, right? I mean, we don't want to think the fact that, that um, there actually can be afflictions. But as we saw, as we've looked at the purpose of afflictions, that God has allowed afflictions, potentially caused afflictions, in our lives um, in order for us to understand and know him better. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 that his pursuit, his desire, his hunger, his passion in life was to know Christ. Not only in the power of his resurrection, but also in the fellowship of his sufferings. Yeah, Because the, the reality is, in order to know him, it's not just to know him in the power, it's to know him in the, the fellowship of his sufferings. And so I appreciated Chuck's um, devotional as we went into our celebration commemoration of the Lord's Supper. Because the reality is that he who knew no sin, when he became sin, had the ultimate of the afflictions placed upon him. And he did it willingly, willfully. And so much of my desire to serve him comes as a result of what he has done for me. We love him because... He first loved us. And part of that then is wanting to know him better and to grow in his grace and in his knowledge. And the reality then is it's not just in the power of the resurrection that I get that, but in the fellowship of the sufferings. And so last week, um, as we considered Paul's teaching on this, because we went from chapter 1 where he gives us a thesis and he begins to talk about his sufferings. And he, chapter 2, he talks about his sufferings more. In chapter 3, he does another one of these asides. And we looked at, last week, this contrasting between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And it kind of seemed like, where is this coming from? But I, I prefaced it with the fact that we are body, soul, and spirit. And so that afflictions come in each of those realms and that he is discussing some of the the afflictions that come in the spiritual realm as well, because he was dealing with the fact that they were Judaizers, and the Corinthians were as, fa- as well, the fact that there were Judaizers that were coming in after him, trying to place them back under the law, back under the old covenant. And so he takes an aside to talk to them, because he's going to, about what we're going to talk about today is going to be built upon the foundation of what we talked about last week. Again, remember when I talked about, in that first week, 
chapters 1 through 7 are like one massive, and trying to separate this thing out is, is, is kind of rough, okay? But last week's teaching is the foundation of this week's teaching, okay? But what he's getting at is the concept of, in this spiritual realm, that, you know, we are spirit beings, we're made in the image and likeness of God, that you need to realize that, look, when you're placing yourself back under the old covenant, it's really a covenant of the flesh. It's physical. But, but the new covenant is... It's spiritual, okay? And that God is a spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. But you're more worried about your traditions and worrying about the traditions of the elders, and God wants you to worry about a relationship with Him. We saw that as well, that it's temporal, whereas the new covenant is eternal. Now, these are, again, important points. You're going to hear these again coming out today, later, as we go through the remainder of this, as we, as we look at, not the remainder of the chapter, the book, but this concept here, where it applies out to us, but that the, the Old Covenant was temporal, because it was only for the moment, but it was going to be supplanted by the New Covenant, and that's what we're told in the book of Hebrews, that the New Covenant came because it is permanent. So just as the, in the Old Covenant, the priests, they would offer the sacrifices daily, throughout the day, they would never sit down. But when Jesus came, he was the high priest of a better covenant the mediator of a better covenant. And when he offered one sacrifice, which was himself, he then did what? He sat down. Because there was never another sacrifice that needed to be made. Even though I am called to offer my body as a living sacrifice, it is only responsive, not effective. I am not offering my body as a living sacrifice because I need to do that in order to be saved. Make sense? Because we're going to talk about We're talking about these afflictions. We're talking about it. But I don't offer my body as a living sacrifice because I need to add works to what Jesus did. It's an important point. There's a lot of theologies out there that are going to teach you that. But rather, it's responsive. Because he loved me, I love him. And it is, so, Paul says in Romans 12, I offer my body as a living sacrifice, which is my reasonable act of worship. Service, latroo. Which is, so we, we refer to this time that we're meeting right now as a worship service. Okay? So we kind of bring blend those two things in together. And that's what that word means. That it's an act of worship. Some of yours has an act of service. But it's an act of Service and worship. Make sense? That is something I'm doing because of my worship for him. And not be conformed to the world, but be transformed in the renewing of our minds. At the end of the message, we were transitioning into the portion that we're going to be looking at today. When he's talking about the old covenant is veiling, but the new covenant is unveiling. And then he gets into chapter 5, talking then about um, the met, the, at the end of chapter 4, the metamorphosis of the believer, how we're being changed from glory to glory. We're being transformed from glory to glory. But then in chapter 5, talking about this message of the gospel, where it brings the manifestation of the light of the truth and the veiling of the light of the gospel from the God of this age, that the God of this age is still veiling the, the minds and the eyes of people so that they can't hear the message. It's that portion here in the beginning of chapter 5 where we're actually going to begin once again and we're going to use it as our transitional point because now we're going to be looking at this concept of afflictions again and that in the face of afflictions, 
We do not lose heart. And as you're going to see, as we're going to, I'm going to read this passage real quick first. And as you're going to see, Paul talks about um, we do not lose heart twice here, okay? And so I'm going to begin reading um, in chapter 4, verse 1. I said chapter 5, but chapter 4, verse 1, down in chapter 5, okay? Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel was veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of Christ or image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. Knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the grace having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So Paul talks about this confidence that he has, where he is, he's not troubled. That, that in the face of afflictions, we do not lose heart. 
And he's going to break this into two sections. First of all, talking about his ministry, and then talking about in life itself. And so first of all, he talks about his, his ministry, and that he needs to keep his focus on God, or that we need to keep our focus on God as we go through ministry. And so you see that right from the very beginning, as he talks about in the proclamation of the gospel. And he talks about his method. Look what he says right in the beginning. He says, we have what? What's the word? We have renounced. Verse 2. We have renounced the hidden things of shame. What do you think that means? When he says we've renounced the hidden things of shame, what does it mean? I'll get to the first Thessalonians in a moment. What does it mean to renounce something? Say again. Speak against it, which means that it has to have what? It has to have been there. It has to have already existed. Do you get it? Charlatans have always always been out there. There have always been fake preachers who are looking out for their own glory, looking out for their own benefits. Paul says, we've renounced it. We have shunned it. We've turned away from it. We've renounced the hidden things of shame. And then he goes on into what these hidden things of shame are. Not walking in craftiness nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth. The truth isn't always popular. Again, Paul tells Timothy, he says, the time will come when people will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. It's not that they don't want to be religious. Everybody has this spirit within them. We're spirit beings. And because we're spirit beings, we want to worship something. And so, think about it. I mean, dogs don't get together to do this. Cats don't get together to do this. Squirrels don't. But all around the world, human beings do what? They worship something. Even if they're going out into the middle of the woods and worshiping nature itself, or worshiping themselves. And so they gather together to worship something. And so there are others then that do what? Exploit it. What did Satan do from the very beginning in the garden? He twisted God's word. He operated deceptively, deceitfully, right? Has God really said? And that's exactly, and we'll see this again in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, but that's exactly what Paul's saying. Look, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I'm going to proclaim the truth and let the chips fall where they may. So he says, our method then was without deception, but in truth. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul states, for our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our heart. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is a witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. We could have done this, but we chose not to do it. Why? Because God gave us a trust. He gave us the good news. We'll talk about that in just a moment. He gave us the good news. He entrusted us with it so that we would what? 
Yeah, proclaim it. That's kind of simple, isn't it? And so when I proclaim something other than what he has asked me to proclaim, what am I doing? I'm standing, I'm standing, yeah, I'm proclaiming myself. I'm standing in the place of God. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him, that is Christ, who called you in the grace of Christ, or God, in the grace of Christ, to a different gospel, which is not another. Why? Think about it. Say again. Because there's only one truth. There is not another gospel. But the false religions tell you what? That there is. When the Mormon boys come to your door, when the Jehovah Witnesses come to your door, and, they, and they're teaching you a gospel of works, it's not another gospel. What does gospel mean? Good news. It is not good news. There is no other good news. It's bad news. They're putting you under the, the law again. We just went through what the law does. The law kills. It condemns. There is no other good news. Which is not another. But, if, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven. An angel? An angel wouldn't do that. Really? Satan is? A fallen angel. He's an angel. We call him a demon. We call him Satan. We kind of, you know, we kind of divide out the demons and the angels and that kind of stuff. You know, the angels, you know, that's a good team. The demons are the bad team, you know. But they're all angels. And that's what Paul's getting at. Even if some other being, some other messenger, literally, would be, well, how you could translate it as well, because the word angelos is the word messenger, okay? But even if we or an angel from heaven, a messenger from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, now I say again, if anyone preaches another gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. And in both of those verses, then along with what we see in 2 Corinthians... What's the motivating factor? Pleasing men. Paul's desire to please God and not to please men, which we'll again talk about in just a, mo a moment. Secondly, then, the message, the gospel. Because, again, this is the whole point, that we've been entrusted with this gospel, therefore we proclaim the gospel, and so therefore we need to know what does the gospel talk about. And we get the first part, and that is the work of Christ. First Corinthians 15, Paul had already stated this to the church of Corinth. He says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, the, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, that He was seen. I always like to include this because we forget about the fact that He was seen. But that's important because that, that was the, the, the testimony to everything else. Okay, So there's those three parts, but actually a fourth part to the gospel message. Christ died, Christ was buried, Christ rose again, He was seen. Okay, And so we see that here where Paul's talking about the fact that even if our gospel then is, is, is veiled, it's being veiled to those who are perishing, right? But there's a second part that he talks about then in here as well, in this gospel message. Whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the glory, the gospel of the glory of Christ, little princess, not princess, but little statement, what? Who is the image of God, should shine on them. 
And that's the identity of Christ. I think the identity of Christ is intricate to the work of Christ. Look, it, it doesn't matter if a person died on the cross for you. He could have been a really, 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 really good person. But if he wasn't God, he wasn't perfect. And if he wasn't perfect, then his sacrifice wasn't perfect. It was exactly the same as any other sacrifice you're still in your sins. Do you get it? This is what's really important. It had to be the perfect human sacrifice, but you could never have that as a descendant of Adam. Because all have, what? All have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 5.12 tells us, kids, that's our memory verse for the last couple of weeks, right? Romans 5.12, for even as sin, what? How did it happen? Even as death came to us through one man, right? Because he sinned and death passed to all men because all men have sinned, right? So in Adam, we all die, right? And so because he's... You're laughing because I butchered it, huh? No, because I answered and said kids. I'm not <laughs> and so... But in, in Adam, we all die because we've all sinned. So that includes Jesus. If he wasn't God. Do you get it? It's so important. So we read in the book of Colossians, right around the portions you were reading today... I kind of chuckled when you started reading. I thought you were going to read my passages for me, Brian. But you kind of read the, the stuff in between there. For he, that is Christ, is the icon, the, the image. It's the exact same word that we read here in 2 Corinthians. He is the icon, the icon, icon of the invisible God. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. Okay? And then in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, for in him dwells, again, katoikao, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, somatikos. And so, so why do I got this? Because those are important words. This is huge. Okay? I get in chapter 1 of Colossians, it says that he is the firstborn of creation. I'm not trying to hide that. I just have space. Okay? But look what it says in that place. That he is the icon of the invisible God. Can you see God? No. Who has ever seen God? What's the Bible say? No man. No man. And yet there were Moses and Joshua and the 70 elders who went up onto the Mount Sinai, didn't they? And where did they eat at? Where? At, at, his, at his feet. They saw his feet. Did they? Did they? I mean, we're, we're, who, let's think about it for a second. I mean, I love, because I just was reading... And I was finishing up Isaiah 40. It's taken me three, three days in my quiet time to go through Isaiah 40. I can't imagine what the next eight, verse, eight chapters are going to do to me. Anyways, but just think about it. what it says there, even in Isaiah 40. You, the heavens can't contain him. I mean, he holds the universe in the palm of his hand. So do we see his feet? Did they see his feet? I mean, honestly, did he have feet? Does he have a hand? Probably not. We don't know what he has. God is a spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit. He gives us anthropomorphisms so that we can kind of comprehend a little bit more about him. Does that make sense? When Yahweh appeared to Abram, Avram, in the, in the, in the, in the, um, by the terebinth trees, right? And, and he comes to him. He comes to him as a man, and there's two angels that are appearing as a man. 
But do angels always look like people? No. I mean, we know the ones that are, are there in Ezekiel, and they got four faces. You know, they got you know, this, 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 and this, and this. You get it? I mean, they're spirit beings. And I think that we are... So when Jesus, Yahweh, comes to, to Avram, he, he comes in his pre-incarnate state to be able to talk. And so, you know, the poem, I, I think it was... Um, oh, oh, I can't remember the guy's name. Anyway, about the birds... And uh, at Christmas time, and the guy doesn't want to go to the, the Christmas service, the Christmas Eve service and stuff like that, and, you know, because he doesn't believe in that God stuff and everything. And all of a sudden, there was, it was snowy and cold and everything, and the birds, he saw the birds outside, and, and um, they just needed to get into warmth because they were going to die because of the cold. And so he goes and he opens up the, the barn for them to go in, and, turns, and then he turns on the light, and then he tries to shoo them in and stuff like that. And he thinks to himself, if only I could become a bird... So I could tell them. And then he what? He gets it. Because that's what God did for us. God became a man. That he could communicate. Jesus. Do you realize what an icon is? I mean, I'm, I'm going to spend a little time here. But this is so huge to me. It, think of, think of a, a, the, those things that, that are made. The idols that are made. But... Um, did any of you do pottery? I wish Justin was here today because he, he loves pottery. You did pottery? What do you do with pottery? It's what on the inside? Hollow. Why is it hollow? So you can manipulate it. But he told me one other thing, too. It's because of the moisture in it. If it didn't make it hollow, it would, it would explode okay, when you killed it. Okay? And so it's hollow. And so in, in past days, they would take this, this icon, this idol, this icon, and they would stuff it with stuff. Okay, and so, and so if you if you've ever seen it's a good movie actually this is a Ted Turner movie so I can't believe I'm going to tell you this anyways but it's called Abraham, Abraham and it's a TNT movie, great movie great movie I just don't like one or two parts I mean we're you know God speaks to Abraham's kind of new ageish but it, you got to it's poetic license they got to figure out how that happened because who knows how it happened but it's a great great movie and one of the scenes though. Um, his Nahor, his brother, is trying to, you know, because um, Abraham and Sarah, they don't have any kids, and so, you know, that's not so good. You know, you've got to have kids, you know, and, and he's already 75 years old, so, you know, you've got to do something. So he's trying to get him to take some of the herbs from one of the gods and the goddesses. And so he goes into his, into his house, and so because Lot, his, his son, Nahor's son, Nahor was having babies, you know, and so, look, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And so he goes in, and he shows him all of his gods. They're all there, like on bookcases but they're idol cases, if you would. And he takes the one, and he opens up the bottom, and he takes it a little bit, and he says, try some of this. He says, Lot had some of this. And look, he says, hey, you know. Anyways, and so they, that was the perfect picture. That's Jesus. He's in this flesh, this tent, this icon. But inside of him was stuffed the fullness of God bodily. I can't comprehend that. The universe can't contain the fullness of God. He's beyond the universe. And yet in Jesus, that flesh that we see, that we, we put on a, on a painting that looks nothing like what he probably looked like. But that's what we picture. And we picture the one, the Son of Man who is fully man. But he was what? Fully God. I can't comprehend that. 
in him dwells, there could have been other words used, but the word katoikeo, that's there, you can see the K, the A, the T, the O, the I, the K, E, it looks like katoikeo, doesn't it? Okay? The oikos is a house. The kata is according to or against. He housed. Literally, it means he housed. He rented an apartment, and he housed here. How cool is that? So Chris, I wish Chris was here today. He's back in Chattanooga. Uh, if you weren't here last week, you, you didn't meet Chris. Chris is going to be joining us for a couple months. He's going to be working at Vogel. But on Friday, I got to go over to his place that he is staying while he is in town. And we got to pray together and pray for his apartment, his condominium, where he is going to cat oikeo while he's in Augusta. Do you get it? That's not where he really lives. He's from Chattanooga. His wife's in Chattanooga. His kids are in Chattanooga. But he's just going to kato with us. And he's going to be in that apartment. Are you tracking with me? Jesus, he took up an apartment, if you would. He just kind of housed in the flesh with us. This is important because Paul's going to start talking in this passage about this tent, right? This is the concept that we need to grasp. This is what Jesus did. This is critical to the understanding of the gospel message. That's why Jesus did what he did and why his sacrifice means everything because of who he was. So what's our motivation? It's our gratefulness to God for his grace poured out upon us. What he did for us. That's what Paul then gets into when he talks to the Corinthians here. And he says, um, who is the image of God should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord in ourselves, your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Look, I'm not doing this on my own. I didn't wake up one day and decide I'm going to serve Jesus, the same guy that I'm, I'm trying to annihilate the followers of. Could you imagine that? Aren't you glad Acts 9 is there? Paul was on his way to... To do what? To, yeah, to arrest those who were followers of Jesus so he could take them back to Jerusalem so they could kill them. But on the road, Jesus shone into his heart. He didn't just show on the path, he showed into his heart. And he exposed his uckiness, the blackness of his heart. Yeah, he blinded them, but that's the physical side. But it was more than just physical. There was spiritual that was going on. And he didn't just, when Ananias came and, and prayed over him, the scales fell away from his eyes, but they were falling. They had already fallen off his eyes, just not physically. Paul had a metanoia moment. He changed the way he thought about Jesus. And now... He just wants to shine all around with him who shone in his hearts. That's why you're a city that is set upon a hill whose light cannot be hid. Because if you know Jesus, he's shining in and through you. And everywhere you go, it ought to be Jesus happening out there. Does it make sense? And so he who began the good work in you, what? Will continue to 
perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. Look, you ought to, your beacon, your, your, your lighthouse ought to be getting lighter and lighter and lighter to the closer you get to Jesus. There was a little analogy from, uh, you knew I was going to go there, huh? From the, the How to Train Your Dragon little clips about the, the, you guys are laughing, you know it, the fireworms. Did you see the one with the fireworms? Yeah. And the closer the fireworms got to the, to the, the island of fireworms, what happened? They got brighter. They burned brighter. So they knew how to find the rest of the fireworms because they, they, they just look at this little lantern that had fireworms in it. I mean, they, they get closer to the, to the island, it burned brighter. Do you know what happens the closer you get to, to the source? You're going to burn brighter. You want to burn for Jesus? Start spending more time with him. Start getting on your knees and into his presence. That's what this is all about. This embracing the afflictions is becoming who he is and modeling him in your life. In the presentation of our lives as a willing sacrifice. In that ministry. Again, we're talking about ministry. This is what we should be doing. And every one of you should be... This isn't just talking to Bob. Bob's not spending a lot of time talking about what Bob ought to be doing. We're all called to be ministers. Okay? But in the, the presentation of our lives is a willing sacrifice. In the manifestation of the power of God. Look what he then gets into. And I'm, I don't have time to go into every one of these in detail. But he says, we have this treasure, verse 7, we have this treasure in what? Earthen vessels. It's really kind of cool. The word earthen vessels there is literally um, the word for an oyster. It is, is, it is the Greek word for an oyster. The frailness of an oyster. Okay? And how, how you can kind of flake and, and, and pick the, the shell apart, okay? And so we have this in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. And so then he gets in then to this fragility of our composition, okay? We are hard-pressed on every side, yet what? We're not crushed. We're perplexed. But what? We're not in despair. We're persecuted. But I know we're not what? Forsaken. Man, we've been struck down. But we haven't perished. We haven't been destroyed. We are always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. In the fragility of our composition, the struggle of our afflictions, we want then the manifestation to be the power of God. Why does God allow these things into your life? So that everybody about you can see what God can do in a frail, weak person. Look, if, if, if we did all this on our own, God gets no glory, right? But the fact is, that there are things that happen in our life that only, only God can do. And those around you will get it. They'll know when that was. The question is, has it ever happened? Do they know it? Secondly, in the manifestation then of the life of Christ, the source of our confidence is in his resurrection, where he then talks about then, for we who live, verse 11... For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus 
also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. The fact is that while we are going through this thing of this afflictions and where it looks like um, we are dying, 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 we are thriving, thriving, thriving. And the power of Christ is coming through as they begin to see the work of the resurrection in our life. I know that this isn't the end all. Do you get it? That this is only a a temporary stopping place. And that when I die, I get to be with Jesus. When I drove truck, I told some of you, but I, I used to love it. People would say, how, how is it? How's everything going? I said, it's great. If it got any better, I'd be dead. No, it can't be that bad. I said, I didn't say that. I said, it was great. The only way it could be better is if I was dead. Oh, man, it's really, I mean, come on. You don't have to think like that. I said, no, no, no. You're not listening to me. Life is great. If it could get any better, I would be dead. You don't get it because you don't know Jesus. If you knew Jesus and you knew where you were going, the sad thing is maybe you know where you're going, but you know where you're going, you know that it, it, as good as it gets on this earth, it's nothing compared to what it's going to be then. Right now, life's great. I'm enjoying life. <laughs> Only way it could get any better is if I was dead. Think about that. Is that what we think? Or do we really, we don't want death. Because we want it here. We like this. We like our sin. There's a song, I, you guys were playing it the other day. I, I heard it through um, Pensacola Christian College singing it. One more night with the stinking frogs. One more night with my sin. This goes back Moses asking Pharaoh. You know, Pharaoh says, take them away, take away the frogs, take away. Because they're on everything. They're on his bed, they were on his face, they were on his food. They're on everything. And Moses says, okay, up. they can be gone. You just tell me the time. Moses, or Pharaoh says, let's do it tomorrow. You got frogs everywhere. I mean, they're everywhere. They're on your food. They're on your bed. They're everywhere. What would you say? Hopefully you'd say now, but not Pharaoh. He said, let's do it tomorrow. It's a great song, though. One more night with the stinking frogs. That's one more night with my sin. That's exactly what it is. I'm looking forward to being with Jesus. But, you know, I really like it on the earth. I like playing with my flesh. I like toying with my, my anxieties. We've got to have a different perspective. It's the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that comes, and that's what overcomes the sufferings. See, when I understand what's happening, that, that, that he who died for me actually was rose for me. That's the part of the what? The gospel message, right? Not only that Christ died, but that he what? He rose. Did you get it? That's what overcomes every affliction that comes. Because it doesn't matter what the world can handle, hand me. It's got to hand it through, through the sieve of God anyway. But it doesn't matter. Because in the end, I know this too shall pass. One day my body's going to pass. I may not make it through this day. I might not make it through this message. I hope God doesn't use it as an illustration. But, the, 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 but it has happened. It has happened. 
I just read about a, a guy who was playing. He was an older man, but he was playing his music. And he said, and he stopped for me. He kind of burped, and he stopped for me. He said, I'm sorry. And then he died, sitting on his stool. In peace. Just kind of, there. everybody's kind of looking, waiting to see whether he was going to sit back up or whatever, but there he was. He, just, he died. Just You don't know. Man knows not his time. Your days are numbered. From the moment you were born, you're going to die. Sorry, hate to be the bearer of bad news there. But that's good news if you know Jesus. The manifestation, the source, the reason that our thanksgiving may abound to the glory of God for the grace of God. Verse 15, For all things are for your sake, that grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. Do you get it? I'm just... You're just a vessel that God is using for His glory. We need to move on. The second part is in life, keeping our focus on eternity. And so we pick, pick this up in verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is what? It's perishing. Would everybody agree with that? Is your outward person perishing? Now the kids are saying, well, no, they're kind of being renewed. I know. The older guys are, you know, all the older men, we're like, oh man, we get that. Perishing part. It's, it's perishing pretty quick. Uh, my sister posted something that, um, she, a picture of her and my dad riding down the road, and they, they, they were talking. They, they made the decision that they would never be over the hill because they're too tired to try to climb it. <laughs> That's exactly it. We're there. The contrast between the physical and the spiritual is so amazing here. Our physical man, our outward man is perishing, yet our inward man, the spiritual man, is what? It's being renewed. It's being restored. It's being replenished. How often? Day by day. And look at this next verse. Isn't this awesome? I love it. It's kind of these, there's some of these verses sometimes you just stop and you just kind of chuckle a little bit and kind of go, wow. If can I be there? You know, verse 17. I mean, he's already told us. You know, all this stuff, you know? We're hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, yet not despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working out for us a far more exceeding and eternal way to glory. Do you feel that way? When you're feeling hard-pressed, when you're seeing being downtrodden, when you're feeling persecuted? That's just a light affliction. Ah. You know, just a little bit of this. I mean, I love that. Was it, um, Gerald. You, you said a couple weeks ago, you said about the reality is you know that when you're going through an affliction that you're going to get through it, but after you get through it, what's going to happen? There'll be another one. <laughs> There'll be another one. And that's just, that's, isn't that part of life? You're going to get through this one with the grace of God. But then surely there's going to be Another one, from another perspective. It may not be identical. It usually isn't identical to the one you just had. Sometimes it's a little bit more. Because, you know, you know when you're lifting weights, what do you do? Come on. You finally start getting used to the weight, right? What do you do, Natasha? You increase. You put another piece on both sides, you know? And you say, what did I do that for? You know? And you keep living that one until you get used to that one. And then what do you do? You put another one on. What did I do that for? God's helping me What? Lift weights. Okay? 
Remember what he says to, Paul says to the church of Corinth in the first epistle, that God has not allowed you to be troubled beyond what you are able to bear. It's a hard thing. The contrast between the physical and the spiritual is so amazing. Verse 18, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We've got to get our eyes off of the temporal and put them onto the eternal. And that's where Colossians, we'll, we'll get there in a moment, I guess, that, on the next one. No, no, it's right there. I just don't have it in there. Colossians 3, 1 to 3. It says, um, oh, my mind's blanking. Somebody stop me. Colossians 3, verse 1 to 3. Set your mind on things above where, if then, nobody has it. Turn to it. Help me out. I know you guys have memorized this too. If then you have been raised with Christ. Go ahead, keep going. Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Yeah. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For if you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Oh, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You died! You've already, you're dead! Do you get it? We don't think we are. But you are! Your flesh is dead. But now you are alive. And so we've got to, to, to do this working thing, you know, that I am continually thinking of heavenly things. People, I, I, I hate hearing this stuff. You're, you're, you're too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. What? I think people are too earthly minded to be any heavenly good. We've got to set our mind on the things above. That doesn't mean I, I, I disconnect from the earth. But that means that, that, that the, the, the things of the heavens, the things of God, the truth of his, of, his, of his spiritual realm get brought down into this temporal realm. Why? Because of the promise of the Savior. We know that of our earthly house, this tent is destroyed we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Jesus said in John 14, You believe in God? Believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many dwelling places, mansions, houses. I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will what? I'll come again, and I'll receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Do you believe it? (laughs) I mean, do you really believe it? I think he's preparing a place for me. I don't know how big, how small, what color the room will be, whether it will be a room, whether it will be see-through walls, what kind of body I'll have. I don't know any of that kind of stuff, but I know he's what? He's doing something. He's preparing it. And when he's ready for me, what's going to happen? He's going to come get me. I may be 58 and never see 59. I may be 80. I may be 105. It may be in the middle of the rapture when he comes in the clouds. And all of us go up because he's got a bunch of rooms all happening at one time. How glorious. Do you believe it? That's his promise. And because of that promise, in 1 Corinthians 15, talks about how this mortal will put on immortality. This, 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 this dying body will put on something that's going to be undying. But also then he gives us the guarantee of the Spirit, we're told in here. For in this regroan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with a habitation which from above, if indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up in life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us 
the Spirit as a guarantee. Do you guys remember the, the old Sears commercials with the craftsman tools? What was the craftsman guarantee, Gerald? You remember? Lifetime. Lifetime. And what did they mean by that? Now, other people, you know, we got paint on this, and I won't, because of the, the, the tape, I won't, because, tape, because of the recording of it, I won't say who we bought it from. But it's a lifetime warranty. You've seen what, what's happening to paint here. I go back to the store, they're going to do what? They're going to want to prorate it based on a certain amount of years. Well, lifetime is not 25 years. Lifetime is a lifetime. I think a lifetime is 100 years. Prorated on that. It doesn't happen that way. But Craftsman Tools was. Craftsman Tool didn't have it because they had Craftsman stamped on it. You didn't need your receipt. You walk in and, and the tip of your, your, your screwdriver was broke. What'd they do? They gave you another one. Probably more inferior now than it was back then. But they'll give you another one. Make sense? Think about it. If an earthly company can comprehend what that means, how much more so God? And do you realize that when you believed, when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that the Holy Spirit came and took residence within you? You became the temple of God. How cool is that? That every place you go, God goes. Now, he's already there anyway, but you get what I'm saying? It's not a matter of, I wish Jesus was with me. He is with you. Galatians 2.20 is very clear about that. It's Christ who lives in me. Ephesians chapter 1 tells us that he is the guarantee until the redemption of the what? Purchased possession. Do you know what happened when Jesus died and gave you the offer and you accepted the offer? He bought you. He bought you. You're his. You were bought with a price. You don't own yourself. He owns you. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. He's not going to sell you. I'm not going to find you at God's yard sale. Please take him. Five cents. Okay, okay, a penny. No, we're giving it away. There's a three for one. I got, I got Bob and two of his buddies. You can take them all. They're free. I'm not going to find it. Because I am not for sale. Do you get it? If I have any struggles within myself, it's purely because Bob is moving. Not because God is selling me off. How cold is that? He's given me the Holy Spirit, him, oh, his own self, part of the Trinity, as a guarantee. A guarantee. As if his word wasn't guarantee enough. So in the end, what is your focus in life? What is it that you're seeking? Are you setting your mind on the things above? Are you looking toward the things of God? Are you seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Or are you looking for the things the treasures of the world? Do you consider the needs of others as being more important than your own? This is the mind of Christ in the core of, core of ministry. When I'm going through and things are hard-pressed, and it's like, you know, I'm feeling like, man, I just need some time by myself, and then all of a sudden the phone rings. You know, it was really kind of nice back in the, in the day, you know, when we had the church phone, and, um, and you didn't have cell phones. There were times when I would just get in my escort, and I would just take a ride. Because there's no phone. 
I was unreachable. And I could just be gone. And I could be praying and meditating and I could just have my own time. So selfish. So true. Anyways, but then I'd come back and it would be all the messages and everything else, right? Now we take the leash with us. No matter where we go, it's there. So what do you do when you just want your own time? You've been ministering, putting out, putting out, putting out. And then God says what? No, I think you can do a little bit more. Hey, Harry. There's no Harrys here. Give him a call. Ask him to do something. I had somebody once, knew the Steelers were in the Super Bowl. And they called me right at the beginning of the Super Bowl. said, Bob, we're having a problem. Can you come over? Yeah. One of those half-second stops? Yes. I'll be right over. And they said, man, we don't have a problem. I was just testing you. (laughs) But you know what? That's the point. It doesn't matter what it is. Somebody else's affliction is greater than my affliction. Because God wants me to be able to minister to them. That's not just for Bob. That's for each one of us. Is the power and glory of God being manifested in your life? I mean, honestly, between you and the Lord, ask Him. If it's not, then there's got to be something that changes. Are you setting your mind then on things above and living for eternity? Is there then a need to change the way you think and ultimately change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for you. Thank you that you loved me. You loved us. You loved everyone in the whole world, everyone you've created. Lord, for God so loved the world. You did. You did. That you came. You came to this earth. The fullness of God came and dwelt, resided, took up a residence bodily. That I might see you, as Jesus said, Philip, have I been so long with you and you haven't recognized me? Father, forgive us for not recognizing you. Yahweh, you are the I am that I am. There is none but you. There is no God before you, no God after you. And yet you have revealed to us that you reside in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I can't comprehend that. But I know you love me with that everlasting love, that each aspect of your Godhead was involved in my redemption. And that you willingly went through the afflictions that we read about on this earth. But the greatest was that you became my sin. That I might become your righteousness. You are an awesome God. Lord, as we consider Paul's writings about afflictions, Lord, may we have the mind of Christ. May we desire to grow in your likeness, to be conformed into your image, that we might better manifest you to those that are in the world. 
For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In your bulletin on the, the handout, um, 